It's good to see everybody. And welcome back. We are here back in the saddle again. I was just listening to Aerosmith live bootleg uh, on the way here. So if there's any other Aerosmith references, I'll, I'll uh, try to give them some kind of credit for that. But... Sometimes they just flow out of me and I don't even realize Steven Tyler is coming forth. So, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But welcome everyone, one and all. Glad you're here. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's because you're under 50 years old. That's okay. <laughs> Alright, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for this opportunity to meet, gather. Come together in Jesus' name. We thank you that you're here in our midst, and we thank you that we have an opportunity to hear from you tonight. I pray that our ears would be way wide open, and our hearts and our, our minds would be relaxed and open, and I pray, God, that we'd be ready to receive what you want to say. I ask that we don't get in the way of that. I ask that our own, whatever it is we bring into here, our own biases, our own experiences, whatever, we'll get in the way of really hearing something new from you. And really taking in something that uh, might be something we've not considered or something that we've not heard or something that we've not really brought into our lives yet. I pray, God, that we'd step out of the way and allow you to really plant something new in us tonight. So, God, thank you. Thanks for being here. I thank you that you're our teacher tonight. And I pray, God, that we would have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as the church. Give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to Psalm chapter 17. Psalm chapter 17. I do have a message tonight from SpeakPipe. That's a service that we use uh, to... Uh, it's an interactive service that we use during Bible study. Uh, we have a number of listeners that tune in to our Bible study via our podcast. And we want to give opportunity for people to participate through asking a question or sharing something that God's speaking to them or, or a testimony of some kind or however they want to do that. Uh, they can go to the website www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study. And there's an arrow there. It's a button that you toggle and you can leave us a message. It, it kind of comes to us like a voicemail. But we can hear you. And uh, we'd love to play that uh, during one of our meetings. So if you have a question, a comment, maybe you're just sitting around with some people listening and you want to share that, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, I believe last time we checked, we have uh, under, just under 100 independent listeners uh, to our podcast on a weekly basis. So, and that was way back, I think, before Christmas that we checked it last. So uh, I'm not sure how many people are listening now, but uh, we'd love to hear from you if you'd like to Leave us a message. Uh, we do have a message from our friend Jeannie in the Chicagoland area. I know her. Patrick knows her. <laughs> but she uh, was unable to use SpeakPipe to send the message. Uh, There's some type of an error. But uh, I, Jeannie, if you're listening, I did check it after I received this and was able to leave a message. So it is working. If it was down, it's going now, whatever the issue might have been. But just to assure you that uh, it is working at this point. But let me, let me uh, read what you wrote here. Uh, Jeannie wrote, I can't really mimic her voice, so I'm not going to try. So just pretend Jeannie's speaking right now, everybody. All right, thank you. It says, I enjoy all your lessons, but August 13th sure hit home. You may add me to your list of people you don't understand. If there's something going wrong in our household, I feel it's all my fault. Guilt sticks to me like it's been plastered there. I like your sureness from God's word. Not only do we not have to live this way, but shouldn't. To think I'm insulting Jesus' finished work is a hurt against him I don't want to participate in. Thanks for the kick in the pants. <laughs> also, here's a 30-second share time. I was in Walmart yesterday and greeted an employee asking how she was. When she mentioned a baker's cyst, asked if I could pray for her. No hesitation. No wondering how I'd look. It was instinct. Gotta love it. Signed, Jeannie. All right. So Jeannie, thank you for uh, writing in. And give SpeakPipe a try again if you think about it. 
and we'd love to hear from you either way. But thanks for all of that. Psalm 17, I need a volunteer to read verse 14 for me. By your hand you saved me from such people, Lord, from those of this world whose reward is in this life. May what you have stored up for the wicked fill their bellies. May their children gorge themselves on it, and may there be leftovers for their little ones. All right, so there is interesting, uh, interesting, interesting verse here. It's David who is surrounded by his enemies. He is praying in other parts of the psalm, praying for safety. And uh, also, if you read this psalm a, a certain way, there's some prophetic in it about Jesus. And if you read it a little deeper than that, there's some prophetic in it about us. And there's a lot, that's true for a lot of the psalms. A lot of the psalms are written in such a way that not only could they be talking about Jesus, but they could also be talking about us, and oftentimes they do. Now, back in the old days when they, only, they didn't print um, whole Bibles, oftentimes they'd print a New Testament, but they would include psalms and proverbs with it. I don't know if you remember any of that. but uh, that you, So you get a New Testament with psalms and proverbs in it. Well, part of that is psalms, uh, there's a lot of the psalms that not only are good worship and not only are good prayer, but a lot of the psalms speak of Jesus. And they also speak of us. And this is one of those. Now the particular uh, translation you're reading, do you know what that is? Is that one of the NIVs? Yeah, it's an NIV. Okay. particular translation that you're reading is kind of interesting because there's a couple different ways to interpret this verse. You can interpret it the one way, which is what was interpreted there, and there's another way you can interpret it, which I'm going to go into a little bit during the teaching. And so I encourage you to keep yourself open to hear what's being said. Because a lot of times in the Bible, you can read it two times and get two different things out of it. I don't know if you know that. That are consistent with the rest of the Word of God, that are consistent with what God is saying and doing, and that are teaching us, both teaching us, things that are non-contradictory. And that's kind of cool. That, that's what happens when God writes something through someone, is that it can have so many different layers to it and so many different levels. All right. So here we have the Psalm 17, David surrounded, as usual, uh, by his enemies, praying for safety, uh, and it's also speaking of Jesus, of us, and it's speaking of hardships, difficulties, and humiliations, and, and David was no stranger to any of those things. I'm going to say those again, hardships, difficulties, and humiliations. And what this psalm is telling us and telling, talking about Jesus and talking about David all at the same time is that we need to connect to God in the midst of all that. That those things are not necessarily something that you want to run and hide from. Not that anyone's looking for hardship, not that anyone's looking for difficulties or looking for humiliation, but they do come our way. And it's understanding that those things do come our way and they do happen in our lives that we say, okay, well, those are just the things, that's just being a human being. That's just being a part of what God created. That's just living around people. Is that those things happen. And you think, and then you start looking at it spiritually, and what you begin to see is hardship, difficulty, and humiliation. I mean, that's what Jesus went through to secure our salvation. That's what Jesus experienced and what He endured so that we might have life, and that more abundantly. So, if you think about it that way, God took that and took these, this combination of things that we fear, some of us, some of us run from, some of us hide from, but He took those things and through that process in Jesus' life, secured our salvation and it secured abundance in our life. And so, if that's a means to an end that Jesus experienced, then what's the message to us? that there may be means to an end in our life when we experience some of those things. Now, if you're old enough, you've likely experienced some hardship. If you're old enough, you've likely experienced some difficulties. And if you're old enough, you've likely experienced some humiliation. Likely. And, and I know that depending on what your life has been like, maybe you've already experienced some of those things, that there's more to come. And they just come. And we don't predict it. We don't somehow fashion it. It's just a part of what happens. And sometimes it makes absolutely no sense. I've had things happen in my life where, where a person that 
I've been friends with for a long time just turns on me publicly and it's a humiliating experience. Why did that happen? I don't know. Why did that just take place? I can't answer that. Is it predictable? Not really. So, they happened. And, and what was going on with David <coughs> is that he was experiencing <coughs> he was experiencing hardship. He was experiencing difficulty. I mean, he was surrounded by his enemies. And here's a man that that had the anointing of God on him. Here's a man that had been chosen. Here's a man that God clearly was blessing. That God gave victory after victory after victory. And he was choosing not to fight against a man who was trying to kill him. And so he would run and he would hide from this man so as not to kill him. But that's a humiliating thing. Not only for a grown man to do, but for a great warrior to do. That's a humiliating thing. And he did it time after time after time. Because he knew it wasn't his right to put his hand on the Lord's anointed Saul. He knew that. He understood that. And so he ran from that. And in doing so, he humiliated himself. It was a humiliating situation. It was also a difficult situation. It was also a hardship. I mean, you ever live in a cave? I mean, I've stayed in some pretty nasty places. I've never really lived in a cave. He lived in a cave. He lived in the wilderness. Here's a guy that, that I mean, you start thinking about how do you get food in the wilderness? Well, guess you do. You're going to live, right? How do you get water in the wilderness? Yes, you do. You're going to live, right? And yet that was his home. He was fighting man. He was living out in caves. He was living in the wilderness. He's being chased by a madman. All these things taking place in his life. He was declaring that the answer to that was he needs to stay connected to God. That was it. And we want to make something else up like, oh, we need to fix this. Or, or you know, if you're the type of person that... Like Jeannie was saying, it's like you feel guilty all the time. Why are these terrible things happening to me? It must be my fault. It must be the sin in my life that's causing this. Well, you don't know that. Nobody knows that. And, and I mean, if you're exploring possibilities, maybe you explore something for a moment or whatever. But the bottom line is these things just happen. The bottom line is, is that we face things in our life because we face things in our life. The bottom line is that we grow through these things. The bottom line is that we, have, we mature through these things. And there's a challenge that's embedded in each one of these difficulties or humiliations or hardships. That the challenge is stay connected to your God. And if you can stay connected to your God, you're going to learn the lesson that you're supposed to learn. Every time something like this happens, there's a challenge embedded in it. And that is, Stay connected. Every time. And you need to make a choice. You would have to make a choice. Is that I'm gonna, am I going to stay connected or am I not? Am I going to stay connected to my God, His will, His purpose for my life, who He is in my life, or am I going to freak out? Am I going to overreact? Am I going to get all mad and start putting holes in walls? What am I going to do? And it might be a combination of all those things. Okay? <laughs> But the challenge is, is that no matter what combination of things that are going on, that we're staying connected. And, and hopefully over time, that connection continues to grow to the point we're not wasting our time and we're not wasting our energy on the things that just don't matter. Because chances are you're not going to change a situation by acting like a jackass. Okay, just say it. You might feel better afterwards. You think you feel better, but you're really not going to, chances are, change the situation for the better by acting like a jackass. And I'm, I'm just saying that. So as we mature in Christ, as we mature in our relationship with Him, as we're able to hang on to that, and we're able to grow in that, what begins to happen is that we can make better choices in the midst of whatever the crisis is. Whatever the hardship is, whatever that, that place, that difficulty, that place of humiliation is. And, and I'll give you another little hint here. The more times you've been in the place of humiliation, the less judgmental you are of people who are in the place of humiliation. Alright? 
Been there, done that. If anything, you begin to feel an empathy for people that are in the place of, of, of that kind of humiliation. You can't even call it sympathy. It's really empathy because you begin to feel what they feel. Because you remember. And that makes you a powerful witness, a more powerful witness for Christ. And a more powerful minister into someone's life for Christ is if you can empathize with somebody in the situation that they're in. They're going through hardships. Can you feel it? They're going through difficulties. Can you feel it? And, and that makes us better than what Christ has called us to do. I want you to, to see the value of empathy and understand it. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And I'm not talking about fake empathy. I'm talking about real life, I've been there, done that enough times, I know exactly what this feels like empathy. And there is something powerful with that, really powerful with that. What's fake empathy? Fake empathy is when you say, you know, it's like we're taught uh, as, and I won't include this, it's like I was taught as a counselor. That we relate to the people, we relate to our clients, and that we enter into the situation with them, and that we try and we feel what they feel so that we can then respond appropriately. That's fake empathy. So like when they teach you like they have a scale of one, three, and five empathetic responses that you can give a person. Right. Fake. <laughs> well, if you're reading them from anywhere or memorizing them, yes. <laughs> Correct. And that's what I mean. It, it, there's, a, there's a certain sense to that that I think everybody knows. All right? The person you're talking to may be just thankful that you're listening to them, and so they'll take your fake empathy because it's better than nothing, but it's not as powerful as actually relating to somebody and knowing what they're feeling and being able to share that with them. There's something much more powerful to that. And empathy is a powerful tool. Now, how do you get empathy? Through experience. Well, what kind of experiences? Not all good. Not all good. And, and that's how we gain that skill. That's how we gain that ability, that, that power, that superpower of being empathetic. You're going to gain that through the same kind of hardships that person's now going through that you've been through more than once, usually. And that's how you're going to gain that. When I was younger, I wasn't very empathetic toward people who, uh, who had like pain when they did normal human things. I wasn't very empathetic of that. Because, I mean, I was young and I got injuries, but I got better, and then I could just go about what I was doing. Like, like if you need to bend over and pick something up, uh, you should, you know, in my mind, well, you should be able to do that. What's wrong with you? And that's how I felt about it. And so growing up, I, that's, how, that's how I felt about it. And so I had this thing in my head that that's how it is, and yeah, I had my share of injuries and all of that, but never anything... Well, you know, as you get older, guess what happens? You get harder and harder to go about doing normal human things. And as I had trouble with that, and I began to experience that in my own life, and what that feels like, and how helpless that feels sometimes, and looking around for somebody to help you, and all of those types of feelings that come around that, and, or looking around hoping nobody sees you, or whatever it is, you know, you start to, to begin to understand what happens there. You begin to understand how that feels. And, and you know, I went through some, some pretty bad periods of, of, of joint illness and sickness. And there were many, 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 many days and weeks that I couldn't do simple things. And, and whether or not that qualifies me or doesn't, I sure know I feel something when I see somebody struggling like that now, where I never did before. And there's lots of stuff in life like that. Lots of stuff. And so, David, he's a man after God's own heart, but man, didn't he go through it? Yeah. Jesus is his only begotten full of grace and truth, but man, didn't he go through it? 
the apostles called, chosen, close to Jesus, with him, but didn't they all go through it? Yeah. Yeah. Because there's something to be gained for going through it. There's really something to be gained. It's like trial by fire, right? It's, yeah, I guess I don't even name it anything because it's just life, really. I mean, it's, it's what you, it's how we learn. It's how we grow. We don't like that anymore. You know, we don't. We try to, we do everything we can to try to keep, like, like for example, children. We, we do everything we can to keep children from experiencing certain things anymore. But you know what? They probably need to experience some of those things. And you start looking at, at how people are growing up and stuff, there's, it's kind of weird. And, and I, I look back and I say, well, what did we protect them from? Probably some stuff they needed. Yeah. All right? And, and so in our efforts to help, in our efforts to bless, in our efforts to somehow make it better, I don't know that we're making it better. And, and for us, at spiritual at least, I can speak to this, is that we need to face things and we need to go through things. If we're going to grow and we're really going to become the people God wants us to be, we got to, it's just, that's, that's life. And we need to have those experiences and we need to go through those things. In this passage, it talks about how, that where you belong. You figure out where you belong. Like most of you here, I'm looking around the room, most of you have figured out you belong with Jesus. You figured that part out. And so you belong in the kingdom. You belong in His presence. You belong with Him. And so you've kind of figured that out. Right? So where you belong is where you receive your reward. Now I know that doesn't sound like a very important statement there. And, and I'm, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but that's a very profound statement. Where you belong and where you have made the, the, you've made the determination you belong, that's where you receive your reward. And what I want you to understand about that is that if you belong somewhere and you know you belong there, then that's where your reward comes from. Don't look for it elsewhere. And that's a real problem for us. We get to that place where, oh, we've got the, oh, well, I belong with Jesus. I belong in the kingdom. I belong with God's people. I belong, whatever it is, I belong in the power of the Spirit. I belong in, in, in the presence of God. Whatever it is, you, you, belong. you belong. Okay, well, that's where you need to look for your reward. Because you know where your reward isn't? Out there somewhere. Your reward doesn't come from outside of where you belong. That's just how God set it up. You know, I don't know the apostles, for example, were ever rewarded in any earthly fashion. Not really. And we have to assume they understood that their reward was going to come from the place where they belonged. You don't think Jesus understood that? How was He rewarded for His life? Did the world reward Him? Was the Sanhedrin looking to reward him somehow? Was the Roman government looking to reward Jesus somehow? No. Torture and death. Yeah. There was no reward outside of where he belonged. His reward was where he belonged, and that's where it came from. Can you give some modern day like examples of going off looking for it elsewhere? Well, I mean, I can share it, and Aaron and I had this conversation with Summers. I don't belong back in China. Like as much as like I, I love my time there, and I could see like if I'm having a bad day, it's like oh man, I'd love to work there again. But that would just be the end of anything I'm doing with God because I don't belong there. Okay. Or if, if say someone they give their life to Christ, and, and I'm gonna hurt somebody's feelings here, so I'm, I'm trying not to, but you can hurt me. No, it's not your feelings. But let's say you're a Christian and. And, and you're a businessman. All right, you, you have to make a decision at some point in your business dealings about how you're going to conduct your business. All right? So you're either going to conduct your business according to the principles of the kingdom of God or you're going to conduct your business in such a way where you're going to maximize your profit. But those two things are not 
going to go together. 99% of the time. I am not anti-capitalist. Microphone's over there. I'm not anti-capitalist. I'm not at all. And I don't know that there's any real problem between the gospel and capitalism. But what I am trying to say is, is that there will be decisions that will be made by every businessman, if he's a Christian, that he's going to have to make that decision. Where does he belong? Does he belong with Christ or does he belong out in the world? Because if he's trying to make, maximize his profits, where is he trying to reap his reward from? Out in the world. So, so right. we're, we're talking his, his reward there as well. Where? In the world, yeah, sure. His reward there as sure. well. Absolutely. Your reward in the kingdom is it's sometimes intangible, though, yeah. and that and and that could be because if you're trying to make tangible reward, let's say, and this is a, this has been a problem with the church also. They'll look at that and they'll say, okay, okay, so my reward's not out there. So my reward is so. What is the spiritual reward that takes the place of wealth? And just make something up, because the church does that. Go ahead. I mean, even with the way you said that, so let's just say you're, you're quote-unquote Christian businessman doing business in the world, reaping your reward, what is the cost in the end? For that, you're getting it from where you belong. <laughs> so, so, you're so what's happening is, is that you're planting yourself in the wrong place. That's the problem. So, so you, you're still getting your reward from where you belong. You've just changed where you belong. Right. Right. And that's the issue. You've re removed yourself from the kingdom. Because you can, you can so still that's look. Rich, that's the rich man. That's the rich young ruler. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because you can still look right and you can still talk right. But the problem is you, you've gone to where you belong. Because right. that's where you're reaping your reward. And I'm not saying Christian businessmen can't make a profit. Of course they can. There wouldn't be any Christian businessmen if you couldn't make a profit. You can make a profit. But it's how are you conducting your business is really the issue. That's the issue. And, and, and that's a hard issue, really. I mean, it's, it's a physical issue also, but it is a hard issue. And there's physical blessing that comes from God through your business, too, when you're following the right... I, I can't even answer that though, and I won't. I won't answer that because I don't know that. Because you might be somebody that started a business as a young man, and you've worked your whole life in that business, but you've worked it and you've done it as a Christian, and you've lived your life out by Christian principles according to the kingdom of God and God's will, purpose for your life, and you may have made ends meet your whole life, but never really made any money doing it. Have you been successful? Yeah. Right. If you provided. Right, right. And that's the point I'm trying to make. Is like, what's our definition of success? I can't tell you that. Each person. I can't tell you. All right. And I don't even want to begin to try to do that because then, because then somebody's going to start a business and say, well, I heard that if I could do business principle and, and Jesus and I'm following the kingdom, living in the kingdom, then there'll be all these blessings that are going to flow my way. Again, we try to take a tangible thing like money and we try to make it something and we can't. You can't do it. Because I don't know what that is. You know, because maybe God pours out a peace that passes all understanding, guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, and you live without stress and you live in peace your whole life. There's guys with millions of dollars trying to buy that can't do it. Yeah. What's that worth? I don't know. It's intangible. Right. But you can't guarantee that. See, it's like you get... The point I'm trying to make is that we don't do it because there's some tangible relief in it. We don't know what it is. We do it because of our relationship with Christ. And this is where we belong. This is our spot. This is our place. So could another example be like family? <clears throat> like feeling that your loyalty to your family, to taking care of, like extend, like extend yeah, yeah. family. Yep. That that could like knock you out of your place or, or take you out of your place or displace you. Right, absolutely. Because Even it feels right. Well, how many people have done that? You get, and that's why the Bible's so clear about you don't you don't yoke yourself with an unbeliever. Why? Well, because then you, you got a husband or you got a wife, and you want to serve them. 
Because that's the right thing to do and it feels right. Everybody's right about it. But how many people have shipwrecked their faith because of that decision? Because of not following after what the Bible said, what God said from the start. They end up shipwrecking their faith because of that. Because it's right, in a sense, but right to what end? Yeah. So can I just take it a step further and say that there are so many people out there who are presented with a situation, an ethical dilemma, have you, and they make a choice based on what they feel the right thing is to do. I mean, there's do-gooders out there that are beating themselves up, trying to do good every time they look and see it needs to be done. Right. But they're not, it's not necessarily what God's calling them to. Right, or it's not necessarily what God wants in that situation either. So, yeah, we, we can't make that decision. That's not even ours to make. We're not even good at it. We're terrible at it. I'm, I'm, I'm finding that the more I like, let go of situations and not try to force what I think is right, but just say, okay, it's going to be what it's going to be. I pray about it, and whatever happens is what happens. I have more peace in what happens, and the outcome tends to be better. And that, I think, for what where you're at and what you're doing, and, and I don't know, you know that I could say that for every situation, but awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Because uh, if, if, let's say somebody, and I'm not saying this is you, but let's say somebody has a tendency to try to control everything. Yeah. Well... Letting go is a freedom. Letting go is a liberty. It, Letting go is a, is a work of trust. That is part of what I do. And I, and I analyze things and I overanalyze them and then I become paralyzed too because I've so overanalyzed it that I see all the negatives and I can no longer see the positives. So when I let go and just pray about it and just let it happen, yeah. Letting go is a work of trust. Now, in this passage, and maybe this will help bring a little more clarity to it, where it talks about people who belong to the world. That word world is kind of interesting because it really means, uh, literally it means to belong to time. The word world there is time. And, and so the idea is, is belonging to the world or that which creeps on like time. And I thought that was just a really interesting word picture <laughs> that we wouldn't get because we don't really speak Hebrew, but... I, I thought that was an interesting word picture of those who belong to time or that which is creeping on. It's just going on. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. So what does that say about the rest of us if we don't belong to that? We're, we're not just... We, we, we don't belong to time. We don't belong to that which is just creeping on. We have a different existence. And, and if sometimes we can pull back out of our rat race existence, if we can pull back out of time like that, man, that's a powerful place to live. It means, you know, there's always time to get stuff done. There's always time for God to move in a situation. There's always time for God to do whatever He wants to do, isn't there? I pray for, sometimes I pray for stuff after the fact. I just do. Because I still think sometimes there's still time. Yeah, and, and I know that sounds, to some people that would sound crazy, but it doesn't to me because, I mean, I, I just really believe that there's still time. Absolutely. And, and, that, and that God could still move in certain situations like that. So, so we, we're put in a situation where we have a people that are governed by time and that we're in the midst of them all the time. And that can really affect us. But it leads to bad principles in our life. And I, I named like money. Okay, so money, power. Uh, there's greed. There's uh, whatever. Pleasure. Wealth. But, but those who are ruled by time tend to gravitate toward those things for whatever reason. But we're just not ruled that way. Think about David sitting in a cave somewhere. Okay, he could have taken matters into his own hands. He could have gotten up. He, he had plenty of opportunities to kill Saul. He could have done it. And you know what? Saul, Saul's army and Saul's son would have followed him. They would have. All he had to do was get up and kill him. Or send one of his men to do it. 
He said to order his death and he would have been king right then. Living in the palace, life is good. But he's living in a cave because he lived by principle. And he lived and he knew that where he belonged was where he was. And he's a man after God's own heart and God's heart was you don't kill the Lord's anointed. You don't lay a hand on him. That was God's heart. And so he wasn't going to do that. And so, for whatever period of time that was, David wandered the wilderness and lived in caves and fought the Philistines or fought with the Philistines, whatever he was doing. He was outside of that time that everybody else was worried about. Because the day came when Saul was dead and David took the throne. And he ruled Israel and he had his time and he had his place. But he wasn't going to rush that and he wasn't going to make it happen. It was whatever God had. And he waited. But he lived by the principle. He lived by what God had said. Because uh, you know what the word vain means? Or vanity? What does that mean? It means self-absorbed. Yeah. And what else does it mean? Self-absorbed is part of it. There's, there's a kind of more fundamental thing about being vain that, that I think is it may be uh, easier to understand for people. Concerned with your outward appearance? Yeah. How you, how you are perceived by the world. Right. Right. Not by God. Right. Jesus, Holy Spirit, but by the world. Right. You're, you're, you're concerned about how you look. Yeah. And, and who determines how you look? Well, you do. <coughs> Because see, and this is what leads to what David was talking about there, is that the vanity is just a waste of time. And it's described that way in Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, he says. And it's, it's just such a waste of time. It's just such a, an exercise in futility. Because if you're the ultimate judge, say you're, you're concerned about how you look, do you ever look good enough? I mean, Ever? Maybe some of you do. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, I just don't know. I don't know when you look good enough. Of all my faults, and I have many, many faults, <laughs> but of all my faults, I am not a vain person. Now, you might think I'm vain, but I'm not. Like, I go whole days without looking in the mirror because I don't care. <laughs> You know, I just don't care. I, I was in the gym today and I stunk. I mean, I was really smelly because I could smell myself. And it's just some days where I'm that smelly where I can smell myself. And it was offensive. It wasn't even a good smell. It was an offensive odor that was coming out from underneath my armpits. And I had like four people come up to me to shake my hand today and talk to me at the gym. And I was completely offensive. And you know what? I thought it was awesome. <laughs> Soak it in, boys. <laughs> so, I don't know, whatever. Uh, but then, and I'm not judging it, I'm just saying that what it leads to is a form of self-absorption. Why? Because you, you want to look good, you want to your, whatever your standard is, but then you become obsessed with the fact that you want to, and it's never good enough. And so it's an endless circle of obsession. And what I found, and what's really ironic about it, is that most people who are vain don't really like themselves. They just don't. They, if they did, they wouldn't care as much. And so, so you've, got these, you've got a people who don't really like themselves, but are obsessed on themselves. How is that ever going to work out? It doesn't. It never works out. It's an endless loop. It's almost like they're trying to make themselves like themselves better. It's just an endless loop of craziness. Hmm. Yeah. So this thing happened today, and I've been feeling really bad about this. This kid was hollering down the hall, and he goes, You are so ugly. You're so... And I said, Why would you say something like that? Because you're so cute. I don't think so. And I walked away. <laughs> uh, was he yelling at you? 
No. No. Some girl down the hall. Oh, okay. And I was just calling him out. So you just stepped in. <laughs> that seems appropriate. It does. It seems appropriate. Knock him down. He's like, who are you? Well, of course. And you probably didn't scream it down the hall either. No. See? Nice. That was nice. That was nice. So, so we need to look at what we're setting our heart on. What are you setting your heart on? Because the, the vanity comes into this decision. It's like, where's your reward coming from? Not out there. So it's coming from here. So what are we going to set our heart on? Well, we can't set our heart on things out there. We can't set our heart on the stuff that doesn't matter. We can't set our heart on the stuff that creeps into our life because the rest of the world thinks it's awesome. We've got to think about something differently. Those who are ruled by time think differently, and they should than we do. We've got a bigger picture to think about. Really. God wants to satisfy our cravings and our hunger. He really does. But He's going to satisfy our cravings and our hunger in other ways. In other words, our reward's not going to be out there. It's going to be here somewhere. And He's going to satisfy our cravings. He's going to satisfy our hunger in some other way other than maybe what the rest of the world gets. It's like, oh, they get that. Okay, well, that's fine for them. But what do we get? I can't tell you. Because I don't know what's going to satisfy your hunger and your craving. I don't know. I do know what won't. That's what's out there. It won't. You think it will, but it won't. And I'm hoping that I can somehow get into your brain a little bit tonight with that idea that it's not out there anywhere. It's somewhere in here with Jesus. In His presence. In, in what He has for you. In His kingdom. That's where it's going to be met. That's where that hunger and that craving is going to be satisfied. Because, I mean, you, your mind and your appetite are real. They're real stuff. And God has the answer for that. But it's in His kingdom. It's in here somewhere. And the more energy you spend looking out there, the more you're just wasting it. You're wasting it on something that doesn't matter. Vanity. Foolishness. And if you've ever done that, which we all have, so you don't need to nod your head, if you've ever done that, gone after something out there, only to realize later what a stupid thing that was, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And we all probably do. And so there's hidden treasures is described as in the scriptures. Hidden truth that God has for us. And that means something beyond uh, just the common mercies of God for His people. The common mercies of God for His people are food and clothing. That He meets our needs. Yeah, that's in the Bible. Jesus talking about the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. He says, seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. Isn't that what we're talking about tonight? You caught that? Okay. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Those are his common mercies. That's what he says. It's like you, you seek him first and his righteousness, all those things are added to you. So beyond that, there's other treasures that God has for us. But they're from within. I believe that. I believe that fully. And I hear guys trying to, to, to talk about the blessings of God and the treasures of God and trying to draw them in from the outside. Well, that's not where they come from. They come from here. And so I'm a big believer in the hidden treasures of God. Choice things that, that, that He gives us. What are they? I don't know. What are they for you? I don't know. What are they for me? Sometimes they're really silly things that you wouldn't even think twice about but that delight my soul. And they'd be silly to anybody else, but they do something inside of me that nothing else can do. They make me laugh. They, they make me smile. They're just things that happen that I know that it's God just doing that for me. It's a joy I carry with me. And, and I, I can't describe it any other way. There's things that happen in my life that, that I know are these hidden treasures, these, these mercies that maybe no one else knows about or no one else can see, but I know and it's just so satisfying. And I'm praying that you have those, that you're thinking of a few things yourself like that. And I'm praying that 
you, you've experienced that before. What I want you to do is begin to recognize them really for what they are, that they are treasures. And they're hidden. And it doesn't matter other people can't see them. They're for you. And they're for me. And that's okay. They're not meant to be somebody else's. You don't even have to feel guilty about it. They're your own little candy bar. You can eat the whole thing. You don't have to share it at all. Because <laughs> if God wants to give somebody else that hidden treasure, He's going to give them their hidden treasure and they got their own candy bar. Don't worry about them. All right? And, and I'm just talking about this one little thing here. To be able to enjoy God and enjoy that relationship with Him and it's okay. Because the next thing I'm going to talk about is being willing to look beyond ourselves. The scribes at the end here, the other side of what Rebecca read, is that, that, that as a people, as God's people, we receive what we get from Him. And we, we enjoy that. We enjoy the hidden treasure. We enjoy all that He pours into our life. But we need to also look beyond ourselves. And I'm going to speak to a, a generational philosophy as we look ahead in our lives. And, and this was something that that for some reason got planted in me a long time ago and it didn't come from my family at all. But it was this idea that I was going to live and I, I, I remember thinking this as a, even a kid, I was like a kid, that I was going to live and I was going to save and I was going to invest so that my children would have a better life than what I have. And, and, and that I would, I would rather do what I need to do to make sure that happens than somehow, you know, extra benefit from whatever it is I'm doing. And that didn't come from anybody, you know, in my family at all. And, and, and I'm not judging them or anything. God bless my grandparents. They were awesome, giving people. They raised me when nobody else wanted to raise me. They took care of me and they made sure that I was provided for. But when it came right down to it at the end, there was nothing left. Nothing. And, and that was just the way they lived, and that was the way they were going to go. And that was it. My great-grandmother was the same way, and my mother was the same way. There would be nothing left. I remember telling June before my mom died, and again, no hard feelings. <laughs> I'm not upset about it. wasn't even upset about it when I was talking about it. I was talking to June. I said, if, if my mom leaves us, if she dies and I don't owe money somewhere, I'll be really super thankful. Mm -hmm. And I was. I didn't owe anybody anything. But none of that ever, I never got any of that in my life. I always felt like, wow, I, I definitely want to have something big. You know, I want to I pass something on. And so... Uh, I look at this passage and it's really that it's talking to families using that kind of as an illustration but it's really speaking to us generationally and how we see things how we view the kingdom and what kind of people we are that not everything that comes our way not everything is for our consumption or benefit sometimes things come our way and I'm not talking about the hidden treasures from God okay eat your candy bar right? that's not what I'm talking about but, but there are other things that come our way that opportunities or whatever it is that come our way as we're moving along in this place where we belong that may be for somebody else. That we might be a part of that blessing. We might be a part of that lesson. We might be a part of what God is doing or saying or whatever. But it's just not for us. You know, David had a bigger view of Saul than anybody else. Anybody else. I don't care who they were. Bigger than Saul had of Saul. Because he understood Saul's place in the kingdom. He understood Saul's place in Israel's future and in their past and in their history. And he understood what his purpose and his role was in all of that. And, and Saul had his day. David could have, like I said, killed him at any point. But it was Saul's day. And he let that happen. Because it was his day. He looked beyond himself. He looked beyond his needs. And he looked to the future generations that were going to come. He, he did things the right way. And because he did things the right way, God blessed him. <clears throat> and so his time came, and his, you know, and his moment, and his reign, and all the rest of that came, and it was all awesome, but that was good. But he's just going to live his life the way he needs to live his life. But with an, a, an eye and a, and, a, and a real understanding toward the future. We need to look beyond ourselves. Don't be barren. 
Because <coughs> the barren person, that's you, but that's always only going to be you. That we need to somehow have a vision beyond just ourselves to the next generation and the next generation and the next one and the rest of them. To see beyond whatever our little thing is right now and see beyond that little place that we're in and begin to pour into and invest into others. Recognizing others have their moments and recognize others have their place and their purposes and their times. Even while we're standing there. You know, God can have a special moment, a special time for somebody that's standing right beside you and not include you. It could happen. That's okay. It's not because He hates you. It's not because He loves them more. It's just their moment. Let them have it. Help them. Bless them in it. I mean, seriously. Really, really just take hold of sometimes in those moments and, and take the moment to bless that person. There's something powerful about even just doing that. But building and moving toward the next generation and the next and the next. Where we're storing up those, those blessings. We're storing up the God's presence. We're storing up all of those things that God's pouring into our lives. Not for ourselves, but to be a wealth for the next generation and the next and the one that comes after you know, just uh, how long did God bless Israel just because, or Judah because of David? A long time. I mean, because some of those kings were wicked. And, and you heard God say, but for the sake of my servant David. I mean, the next generation, I mean, Solomon had his problems, right? But for the sake of my servant David, I will. And so generation after generation after generation in a physical sense, spiritual sense, physical sense, we're all blessed because of Him. Because He could look ahead. And so it's for His children and for His children's children. There's a true satisfaction in that. A true satisfaction in that. Okay, I'm going to go to one more place in the New Testament. This is where we're going to finish up. Somebody look up Luke 16. Luke 16 and verse 8. Anybody want to read that? Luke 16, 8. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. All right, thanks for reading that. Somebody go down to verse 25. Verse 25. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life, you received your good things, just as Lazarus received bad things. Now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Alright. So what do those verses illustrate from Jesus? This is Jesus teaching these. What do they just illustrate? Where, if you're of the world, where's your reward? On this, on this yeah. time. On this if, you're, if, you're, if the place where you belong is with Jesus, where's your reward? Jesus. It's where you belong. Alright. So you are, I'm going to read that again, where you belong is where you receive your reward. Stop looking for it elsewhere. Right. So I just want to pray and ask God to give us a little adjustment in our minds. Because we probably need it. And just allow the Holy Spirit to begin to affect your thinking tonight. Begin to affect your perspective if it needs to be affected somehow. And let's, let's allow God to help us to see some things differently. Heavenly Father, thanks for uh, truth. And I ask you that you would help us shift our minds where they need to be shifted. Because God, I thank you that you have a way. You have a purpose. You have a plan. I thank you that your reign and your rule, your kingdom, is here and now. 
and that as your people we have our place, we belong in your kingdom, in your reign and rule. And so I thank you for that. I thank you for making a place for us. And I thank you, God, that we have a place in your presence. It's where we belong. And so, God, I pray that our, our thinking would shift when it comes to just concepts like success or when it comes to concepts like what victory looks like or even beauty. God, I pray that we would begin to allow you to align our minds and our hearts toward what you say and what you reveal instead of what we've been told <coughs> or, or what has been illustrated to us by the people of time. They're just creeping along. God, I thank you that we don't just creep along. But we have an eternity in front of us. I thank you we don't just creep along, but we have a bigger picture to look at. I thank you, God, that you've lifted us from the burden of being a people of time so that we can respond with your wisdom and eternal principles in a world that just doesn't seem to care. I thank you, you care. And so God, whatever needs to shift in us, whatever needs to be tweaked in our minds, in our thoughts, in our perceptions, I just pray you do it. And I ask, and I just want to encourage each one of us sitting in here right now, each one of us listening to this, give God permission. You give Him permission right now just to tweak your thoughts or your mind in areas they need to be tweaked so that you can begin to think differently, starting right here, right now, tonight. We want to think differently, God. We want to see things differently. We want to care about things that matter. God, we want to respond to things in ways that matter, ways that are productive, ways that are building the kingdom, ways that are full of your love and your grace and your mercy. So God, in the name of Jesus, I, I ask you that that things would change, begin to change right now in our minds and our hearts. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. You can do it. I know you can. God, you can change the, you can change the course of, of, of natural things like rivers and the currents of oceans. And you can change, God, the mountains can be moved from one place to another. You can change our minds. You can give us opportunity right now change our minds in the name of Jesus. You can do it. So God, I pray that as we pull on you to do that, that we just take advantage of it. And we begin to think something differently. Here and now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, I just want to say thanks uh, for the hidden treasures that you have for us. Those things that maybe nobody else can see or understand, but I thank you for those. And I thank you for the joy. I thank you for the happiness. I thank you for the peace. I thank you, God, for the silliness that sometimes comes out of those hidden treasures that, God, we are rewarded with right here and now in our lives. That, that where we belong, there's all kinds of hidden treasures. There's a peace, or there's a patience, or there's a long-suffering, or there's something that nobody else knows. A work of provision in our life that's just so awesome. It may be ridiculous too. But God, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for the intangibles. Thank you for the peace. Thank you, God, for the joy. Thank you, God, for the hope. Thank you for life. Yeah, real life. Thank you for meaning. Thank you for purpose. So much more. So much more than we can get out there. So thanks. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Mm. So God, I pray tonight that even as we lay down to sleep and we go about our business, I pray that we be made more and more aware of the hidden treasures in our life. That we can celebrate really celebrate 
maybe even as we sleep tonight and when we wake up in the morning. But God, we say thanks and we give you praise. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. That's the group by saying amen. 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 Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being here. And thanks for coming to Bible study. We'll see you again soon.